first birth narrative was about John the Baptist, which is found in Luke chapter 1. The second birth narrative is about Jesus, which is found in Luke 1 and also Luke 2. These two birth narratives were written for us and for learners like us to understand the purpose of John the Baptist's life, for his birth, life, and death, and also to understand the purpose of Jesus' birth, life, and death, and resurrection. Chapter 1 informs us about John the Baptist. We know that John the Baptist was chosen by God to be the forerunner of Christ. And he proclaimed that salvation is only available in Christ alone. In chapter 2, Luke, the writer of this gospel, focuses attention on the incarnation and birth of Jesus. Jesus' incarnation and birth is an an uncomprehensible Uh, Divine transcendent truth. Whenever you hear somebody say incarnation, that's simply saying that God, according to his good pleasure, decided to dwell in human form. As John chapter 1 says, God, the word of God became flesh and dwelt and was born of a virgin. After Mary gave birth to Jesus. God sent an angel to present the good news to in the city of Bethlehem. And on that night, angels praised God for that Savior, namely Jesus. Uh, from last Sunday, we learned that this Savior upheld God's law perfect. God gave Abraham a covenant of circumcision. Circumcision served as an outward expression of God choosing Israel to be his people. Circumcision is no longer a physical expression, but a spiritual one. Because people, God's people, are not circumcised by the flesh. They are circumcised by the heart. Lastly, circumcision also represented the need to be cleansed from sin. But Jesus was sinless. He did not need to be circumcised. However, this Savior submitted to circumcision to fulfill the law of righteousness. As we see in Luke chapter 2, verse Verse 11 says, For unto us, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And God has always been a Savior. He has always redeemed his people. When there was a global flood, God saved a remnant of people, 
Noah and his family and essentially saving the human race from extinction. He saved Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. If you ever read the book of Judges, you would know that he raised up judges to save Israel out of the hands of many oppressive rulers. In Isaiah 43, verse 3, Isaiah says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He is the Lord, and besides me there is no other Savior. God had made many promises, and he has kept them all according to his word. The number one promise that is repeated in scripture is the promise that he would send his son, the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. After the fall of man, God promises sin a Savior. And this Savior was to be born under the law. And this Savior would save his people from sin. And for our study today, we will learn about a revealed revelation concerning this Savior. This revelation was foretold since the beginning of of biblical history, this revelation was foreknown in the mind of God. This revelation was predetermined to happen according to God's perfect will. This revealed revelation is about a Savior appointed to death. This is exactly what Simeon, the person we will soon learn about, said in verse 34. He said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. And speaking of Simeon, there is little that we know about him. He was not a priest. Uh, if he was, Luke would have made that clear to us, just like he has done in terms of Zechariah, who was a priest. According to Christian legend, people believe that uh, Simeon was the father of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was Paul's teacher, but there's no evidence to support this view. In terms of Simeon's age, many people believe that he's an elderly, he was an elderly man, but the text does not explicitly mention that he was, I guess the supposition is based on Anna's age. If you look down in the following verses, you will notice that Anna is um, is in her, she is 80. Uh, yeah, if you read of her in the verse 36 through 38, the assumption goes as this. Since Anna was 84, then Simeon must have been an elderly man in his old age as well. However, we don't know his age, and it leaves us to assume who he was, how old he was. All there is known about him is found in Luke chapter 
2, verses 25 through 35. In verses 25, the text simply says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous and devout. Scripture says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly and in all the commandments of the Lord. Mary and Joseph were righteous and devout too. I strongly believe, in terms of Mary, I strongly believe that the Lord would not have allowed Mary or Joseph to be the parents of Jesus if they were not righteous and devout. Mary and Joseph were teenagers at the time. They were chosen to be parents to Jesus. Out of all the people that God could have chosen to be the mother of Jesus, he chose Mary. Apparently, her righteousness exceeded everybody else, humanly speaking. But this is what Luke tells us. This is the small, short description of Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He was devout. Devout means to be godly, in particular, to be a God-fearing person. There was and still is a difference between a God-fearing person and a, and a person who say they fear God. The difference is one is lip service, and the other one is implanting in their hearts. They truly and genuinely fear God. The Pharisees and Sadducees were perceived to be people who feared God, but they were the ones who crucified God's only son, namely Jesus Christ. There were several people like Nicodemus amongst the ranks of the Pharisees who feared God, who had a desire to actually be devout. The ideal Luke is communicating is that a righteous and devout person believes by faith and practices their faith, whether it is in public or in private. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter in the kingdom of heaven. I have a I have a book on my bookshelf. Um, the title is The Resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the author's name is Pinchas Lapidus. Uh, he was a Jewish rabbi, 
And in his book, he argues that the resurrection is believable uh, because resurrection from the dead were common to the uh, Jewish people. According to him, every Jewish person should believe in the resurrections or believe in resurrections. But the reason many people, Jewish people, do not believe is that Jesus believe that Jesus was the Messiah, is that Israel was never liberated from the Romans, nor did Jesus inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth during his public ministry. So Pentus Lapid said, and I quote, therefore, I can, I therefore can accept neither the Messiahship of Jesus for the people of Israel, nor the Pauline interpretation of the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, he's not, he's saying that Jesus wasn't a Messiah. And it is not surprising for me, to me, that he is saying what he said. Uh, many people in Jewish, uh, in Paul's day, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, Paul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he was converted to Christianity. But as we can see, Simeon believed. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's righteousness and devoutness causes him to believe. And this is what we see. It says, uh, Simeon believed and he waited patiently for the coming Messiah. As you can see in verse 25, it says that Simeon and this man was righteous and about waiting for the constellation of Israel. Waiting for the constellation of Israel. Uh, the constellation of Israel simply means the Jewish messianic hopes that all Jews were waiting for the Messiah to arrive. Simeon was, a, was patriotic for his country. He loved the nation of Israel. He desired Israel to be restored as a sovereign nation. He had in mind all the promises of God that, that God gave to Abraham and David of how the Messiah will arrive someday. That salvation, and it wasn't just physical, but it was also going to be spiritual. A physical salvation was going to be from the Romans. A spiritual salvation was going to be from, uh, going to be for, to save people from their sins, to awaken their hearts and their minds. As Jeremiah said, uh, this about God, God will put in his law within them. He will write it on their hearts. He will be their God. I mean, he will be their God and they shall be his people the constellation of israel the arrival of the messiah 
Simeon was waiting for. And to Simeon, Jesus was the fulfillment of Israel's hope of of that constellation. The meaning of constellation, again, is to, is to bring comfort. And Jesus was that for Simeon. Simeon saw within Jesus the God of comfort. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, he writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In Isaiah chapter 51, verse 12, he wrote, I, God, am he who comforts you. Small application. Where are you finding your comfort? Where are you seeking? Who are you seeking to console you? Is your comfort coming from someone else? Outside of Christ? Not for Simeon. Simeon knew that Jesus was his consoler. The notion, as as we continue to read and, and look at this particular text, you see within verse 25 that Luke writes, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, it's, I kind of get upset because when it comes to the, when it comes to the theology of knowing who God the Holy Spirit and people, many people, gets it wrong, it's a pet peeve of mine. It's the notion of God, the Holy Spirit, revealing the future to people in current times is unbiblical, to say the least. In present times, a lot of spiritual people say that God had revealed what will come to pass or what had happened in the past. Today, everyone is into miracles. Everyone is into healings. And just to add a footnote to healings, why not the faith healers go to the hospital and heal everyone? Visit hospitals. Go there. Do it outside your church. And everyone is into revealing of prophecies. For example, I remember, I don't know if you can recall this individual, but I remember Harold Campy, a radio broadcaster, made two predictions about the rapture, about the coming of Christ. His first prediction was in 1994. His second prediction was in 2011. One of his followers spent over $100,000 on TV ads and billboard ads to warn everybody that the rapture was coming of May 21st, 2011. Here we are in 2019. In the year 2011, even my nephew was fearful of this. 
Everyone was, it was, everyone was in, in pandemonium. So it really bothers me whenever a professing prophet like Harold Camping say, God has a word for you today. Or they would say, God told me to tell you this. Or God spoke to me. People do not like other people's uh, people putting words in their mouths. How much more people should not put words in God's mouth? In fact, you're attributing something that God didn't never said. To be facetious a little bit, I remember watching a YouTube video of a pastor saying to his congregation, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do anything. So he attempted to jump over an object, and he fell flat on his face. And I laughed. I'm saying to myself, now, was that God the Holy Spirit, or was that you? The obvious answer is it was him. Not as athletic as he wanted to be. So, with that being said, you and I have to be careful whenever we say that the Lord spoke to you. The idea is that if you say that, the Lord spoke to you. You want to be mindful because the Lord spoke to you. It's not always applicable for me. So the God, the Holy Spirit, is not a fortune cookie. He is not a genie in the lamp. He is not some type of mystical uh, spirit wandering everywhere. He has allowed himself. um, He is God, the third person of the Trinity. He has allowed himself to be known as God. And the only way to know that he is God is by faith. Why do I say that? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. This is the account with Simeon. And we ought to know, just a, a, a tad bit more, that Simeon was not only devout and righteous and not only that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I think we ought to know by now how active God the Holy Spirit was in the lives of these characters. He was active in in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, now Simeon. If you recall, the angel Gabriel revealed to Simeon and Elizabeth that they would bear a son, John the Baptist, and from birth he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the angel visited Mary, he told her that God, the Holy Spirit, would come upon her, and the most power in the and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that Jesus could be supplanted in 
her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, too. At the moment of Mary's visitation to, uh, to go see Elizabeth, Elizabeth said to Mary, why is it granted to me that, my, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And we all know the story about Zacharias, how Zacharias disbelieved. His mouth was shut for nine months until he believed, and that is when God the Holy Spirit opened his mouth to speak, and he spoke the words concerning his son, saying, uh, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And as we get to our text, and as we can see, the Holy Spirit is active here as well. Now, you might be wondering why I'm tracking you with this long illustration. Here's the point. Would you like to know something significant, something that is significant about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Say yes. The significance is not that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. It is that God the Holy Spirit came upon them so that he himself can glorify Christ Jesus. That is the significance. For example, John the Baptist's birth, life, and death pointed toward the glorification of Christ Jesus. Mary, being the virgin that she was, not no longer is, her, her, she herself knew that what was happening to her was all for the glorification of Christ. It was for some Person and that person was Christ Himself. So when when Zechariah opened his mouth and told and foretold what was going to happen to his son, being the forerunner of Jesus Christ, that was not just about John the Baptist. His ultimate prophecy was pointing towards Christ. That is the significance of someone being filled. Because being filled will point you and lead you to Christ himself. And since Simeon was endowed with, the, with God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. That he would not see death before he has seen the Lord Christ. In fact, I think you ought to know that the meaning of Simeon's name um, was a common name. In fact, uh, it was so common, one of his name was part of the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. It was a tribe of Simeon. However, his name means that God is listening. 
God has heard Simeon's prayer. I can imagine this. I can imagine Simeon, a righteous and devout Jew, praying to God that he would allow him to see Christ before death. And God was listening. God heard him. His prayer was granted. The question I would like to ask uh, for you and me is how is it possible for Simeon to know when he was going to die? How was it possible? The answer, God the Holy Spirit revealed it to him by identifying who the Savior was and still is. You and I, we we don't know... Um, each other very well. We know of each other. We don't know each other. But there are two facts that I can guarantee about your life and my life. One, you and I would die one day. Two, we do not know how nor when we would die. Those are the two facts. All of us know this to be true. Even scripture testifies to this point in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment. In Psalms chapter 89 verse 48 says what man can live and never see death. It probably be as my thinking is somewhat morbid at times because I think about death all the time. I'm saying, Travis, this is me talking in my head. Travis, one day you would die. You would die. That that prevailing thought will always be with me until I die. But this pious Jew, longing to see Jesus, his piety forces me to to examine my own heart. His he was just he wasn't religious. His piety didn't extend to just him being a public figure before everyone else. So when I look at Simeon, I think about the question that the psalmist asked in Psalms chapter 73, verse 25. He said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I besides that I desire besides you. And I think that Simeon had an unquenchable longing to see Christ before his death. 
And when I think about that, I say to myself, there's one thing of saying, Travis, you will die because I know I will be with the Lord. But there's another thing when the psalmist says, who on earth that I desire besides you? That's when it's a reality check. Because our hearts are prone to wonder. Our hearts wonder all the time. We are, we are set at a disposition that we're fighting against to long for Christ. So the question that we ask, that I will ask you, and I'm asking myself as I'm preaching to you, is what the psalmist says. Is there nothing on earth that you and I desire besides Christ Jesus? Is there anything else? As John Calvin would say, our hearts are nothing but idol factories. So when we look at Simeon, there was nothing else on earth that he longed for except for seeing Christ himself. And as we look at the text on that day when he was not only filled with the Holy Spirit, he was also moved by entering the temple. You look at the uh, following verses in verse 20. It says it had been revealed to him by uh, the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. When and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to for him according to the custom of the law. So he was not only devout, he was not only righteous, he was not only filled, but he was compelled to move toward Christ. Keep in mind, he wasn't a priest. He was an ordinary Joe, an ordinary Jew, because he was compelled to do so by God the Holy Spirit. And that day was an appointed day for him to meet Joseph and Mary in the temple. Pastor John MacArthur said it this way, the temple where God met his people was a fitting location for him to providentially arrange for Simeon to meet the God-man Jesus Christ in person. And as we can see, as as the text move along, he took Jesus into his arms and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. The salvation that Simeon is talking about. It wasn't just for a physical one. What's the spiritual one? Simeon knew 
And then God, the Holy Spirit, revealed to him that the Messiah, the Lord's Christ, that is the Messiah, will come and save his people. This is the uh, blessing that he he blessed God with. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You know, we think it's one thing for us since we are in Christ that we have been saved from our sins. The idea that we no longer needed to be saved. That's not entirely true. It's applicable to say that salvation can also, not just also, but it leads to sanctification. As scripture says, according to the ESV, we are being saved. It's a continuance. For the Christian, we are being saved daily. So have our eyes truly are set upon Christ? Our eyes do our eyes look at Christ as our only salvation? Very recently my wife said something that was very poignant um, to me. And I think it's applicable here. She said, Well, you and I we are seeking other things and we are bleeding from the side. It's a metaphor, or at least an analogy, to say that we're searching out these little things to fulfill a void in our hearts that only Christ can fill. I will start singing for y'all, but I'm not. But as the hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And as we uh, continue to see in the verse, in the verses uh, 31 and 32, Luke writes for, uh, especially in verse uh, 32, uh, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. We have, if you can recall, we have talked about this pretty much. Um, in fact, um, one of my mothers here just was telling me about the sermon illustration that I have given you all about how I was in need of of glasses and I, how I was in darkness because I couldn't see and I didn't know I didn't I, I didn't need glasses I just knew that this is normal for me or at least it was normal until I put on glasses and I could see very well but here we have Christ being a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. This was always God's uh, nature. 
He has chosen Israel as a selected, as the elected people to, to, to show them and to nurture them in a way that a mother nurtures their child or a father nurtures their son. When other, other nations look upon Israel, they would say, what is so different about them? And all of that was for them to broadcast God, to evangelize to other nations. They were to be a light to other nations. That's the simple reason I, I, I want to uh, ask Mel to read Isaiah chapter 49. It was always in God's nature to save other people outside of Israel. As Paul says in Acts chapter 26, verse 23, that the Christ must suffer and that being, and by being the first to rise, raise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. This light is perfect, is fitting for who Christ is because he is the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. He is the one that illuminated our hearts and our minds to understand who God the Father is. When darkness was in our hearts, Christ entered, darkness flee. Amen? Amen. As the test goes on, it says in verse 33 through 34 and 35, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is supposed. And its sword will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What I want you to take notice of. Take notice of verse uh, 34 in particular, of how, of what Simeon said, that this child is appointed for the fall. His death would benefit everyone else. I recall asking um, a brother of mine, a Christian brother of mine, would you allow your son to die for someone else? And the reason on my question, because I was thinking about Abraham and Isaac. That Abraham was going to sacrifice his own son, although he knew that God would raise Isaac up from the dead. But the principle is that one person is going to die for the benefits of others. Would you sacrifice your own son or your daughter? for the lives of other people, for the salvation of other people? Honestly, if I had children, my answer would be no. That's the selfishness of me. 
But God doesn't have any selfishness. He allowed his son to die for us. For the benefit of others. That he was appointed to death. This savior that came into the world was appointed to die. This was predetermined by God the Father himself. As I said, Abraham offering up his son upon the altar was a foreshadow of how Christ will die himself, that God the Father will find it pleasing to punish sin. Because Christ came in the likeness of sin. And he would die for us. And there's a, to my knowledge, there's a, uh, a African legend of an African um, um, tribe uh, chief leader told everyone, if you if you break the law, you will be punished. It just so happened that his own son broke the law. And he had to give the punishment out. He had to declare that his son was guilty. So what he did, instead of his own son taking the punishment, he took the punishment for his son. This is the sacrificial love that God has for us. That God has given his only begotten son to die on our behalf. A penalty that we cannot pay, a death that we cannot uphold to. A punishment that we deserve. But this is also what Scripture says, turn very quickly, turn to Isaiah 53. Hang in there. I see some of y'all are dozing off. I've only been up here for 48 minutes and 30 seconds. I keep up my watch on for that, <laughs> for that reason. Hang in there. Let's look at Isaiah 53, verses verses 11 through 12. 11 and 12. Let's read. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. To make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. 
he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is way before Christ's birth. Here we have a suffering servant who was going to die for transgressors. That is, us. His appointed death was our salvation. And as I you can turn back to Luke chapter 2. About to come to a close. And just a rereading of what Simeon said to uh, Mary. He said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. As And just a very quick footnote. Um, I've been reading a book by J.I. Packer, and he mentioned that the signs that we have in Christianity, such as the crucifix, not the crucifixion, the crucifix shows that a Savior who was put to death, but a Savior was never uh, risen from the cross. So you see a lot of our Catholic friends uh, having a crucifix. But a crucifixion shows that a bare cross that he suffered upon the cross, but he's no longer there. But another sign. Because anytime we tell everyone else that here is a Savior that died for you, there's several things that may happen, depending on the individual. One, they may accept the revelation the revealed revelation. Two, they may oppose it, as Simeon has said. Because many people believe that they do not need a Savior. That they are in no need of salvation. This is why Christ says when we preach Christ, now, this is what Paul said when we preach Christ, that, but we preach Christ crucified. It is a stumbling block to Jews and Gentiles. They're either going to reject Christ or accept him. Lastly, Interesting words that Simeon said in verse 35, according uh, that he said to Mary, he said, in the sword will pierce through your own soul. I thought about this. I, you know, I thought about how Mary felt at the moment when she saw her firstborn son upon the cross. Now, mothers, I cannot speak for you. I only can speak for her as a, as a mama's boy. And I know that I love my mother, and my mother loves me. And I, I can tell you this, what my mom said to me. If anyone touches her children, she will kill them. 
she set it upon her heart to do that, to defend her children with her own life. I can only imagine how Mary felt when she saw her son hanging upon the cross. A device, a torturing device that causes someone to suffer for hours. The whole point of the crucifixion was uh, of, a, a, of a cross was that they didn't want you to die quickly. They want you to die a slow death. This is, and very quickly, turn to uh, John 19 so you can get the picture of John 19. And let's look at John 19, verses 25 through 27. Because I want you to get the picture of how how Mary may have felt at the time she was watching her son die upon the cross. This is Jesus hanging upon the cross. And as we read in John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, So the soldiers did this things, did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his, his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, namely John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I don't know how much Mary could have bared though the sight of her son being crucified. That may have prompted Jesus to tell John to take his own, uh, his mother Mary to his house. Behold your son. Didn't didn't Mary know that? Her son was going to be crucified? Did she know that he was the uh, the Savior? Of course she did. As the the songwriters already say, say, they say, um, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? She knew. At least she had a a great inclination of knowing Turn back to Luke. And the key word that I want you to focus on is revealed. In in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, it says, So that thoughts from many hearts may be 
reveals. Christ reveals every person's heart. As scripture says, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And although people think they are not in need of a, a salvation, they think they, are, they do not need to be saved. And the reason why they think the way they do because their hearts are not revealed. When Christ entered our hearts, when the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon us, it liberated our will. It opened our hearts to see that we need, needed a Savior. Because Christ Jesus is the only light of salvation that God provided to escape the darkness of death. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and I ask that you will continue to reveal our hearts. Although we reject you, although we, we quench the Holy Spirit, we rebel against you, I pray that you will continue to chastise us because those whom you chastise, you love. And if, if, even if we're not rebelling against you, Lord, and if we are still, and if we are seeking after you on a daily basis, I pray that you will reveal our, our secret sins, as Psalms chapter 90, uh, verse 9 says. That you know the inward thoughts and you know the inward uh, sins of our hearts, Lord. Reveal those things to approach us of those things. And I pray that what was said today is applicable to everyone's uh, life. That it is applicable in a way that it has spoken to them and to myself as well. Most importantly, pray that Christ will be glorified, that he will be honored. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.